Hello, hello, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 201. Of course, y'all know who I am. I am your host, Armand Lee, who's going to be your tour guide throughout these next 90 minutes or so as we span sports and entertainment and what a show we have lined up for you guys this week. It's been a very embarrassing week if you are a fan of the NBA for multiple reasons. We're going to dive into that topic a little bit later. Plus, after a god-awful summer of fights being postponed, fake fights garnering so much attention, and all of the shenanigans that happens within the squared circle, finally, finally, boxing fans had something to celebrate over this past weekend and the slate of big-time real boxing fights over the fall months are something to be very, very much excited about. We're going to talk about the crowning of a new champion and where this leaves the sport of boxing as we head toward an exciting finish of 2021. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Understand that I have tried to avoid this topic. One of the reasons why I took a two-week hiatus is because two weeks ago, I wanted to talk about Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. And understand, I realized that I talk about Ben Simmons and the 76ers quite often over the last, I don't know, four or five months. Yet this thing keeps building and building. And and the more I try to bite my tongue, because look, shout out to everybody who's listening to the podcast. If you listen to this podcast over the last four years, you kind of know. I mean, there's no kind of, you know where I'm going. If you listen to this podcast over the last two and a half, three months, you exactly know what I'm going to say. I've tried not to be heavy handed because I understand that you will hear my position and it will sound like a hot take. In fact, I believe the last time I've talked about Ben Simmons and the 76ers or one of the last times. It was under, you know, the hot take of the week, right? Production value. Because I knew what I was saying goes completely against everything we've been taught as NBA fans. There's a There was a really, really, really good piece done by Andres Alvarez uh, of Box, Box Score Nerds. Uh, or Box Score Geeks, excuse me, BoxScoreGeeks.com. It's a, a really fun site. Uh, I appreciate his voice. Y'all know me. I'm big on analytics, particularly in, in, in the NBA. Um, and he wrote this piece, which was so interesting because it's basically a known unknown. You feel me? Like, it's never been talked about. It's never been, you know, something that had to be illustrated. But we all kind of adhere to it in some way, shape, or form. Even if you try and you know better, your their initial kind of instinct as it relates to being a fan of basketball, whether it's professional or not, we attribute a certain level of cachet, a certain level of talent and skill, uh, elitism to a player if they can reach the 20 points per game threshold. If you score at or above 20 points per game, we look at you different. There's a certain level of, oh, man, he's pretty good. 
it, it always exists. Even someone like myself who, who campaigns about ignoring PPG without any type of context. PPG means nothing. You guys have heard me say this for damn near five years now. But even I, hey, this guy's a 20-some-odd points per game score. Even though I know better, there is still a part of me that's like, okay, he must be pretty good. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and act like that doesn't exist. Of course it does, because we've been indoctrinated since we've been little. The moment you start following basketball, it's, again, this known unknown. Why we do it, I have no idea. But we all do it, and we all understand it. If you reach this 20 points per game plateau... And if you score more than that, you're looked upon being this elite level player. And if you don't reach it, right, people look at you differently. To give you examples about this throughout the NBA, look, again, I know y'all going to look at me crazy. But I felt this way pretty much since I started reading about this. Dennis Rodman was a greater player than Isaiah Thomas. I know y'all going to look at me crazy. I get it. And the thing is, hey, Zeke scored. Duh, 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 duh. I get it. Points. Yay, points. Y'all bombers are going to tell me that Carl Malone is better than John Stockton. I get it. I get it. I disagree. I get it. People laughed at me when I said Ben Wallace needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Laughed at me. Ben Wallace was a better player than Chauncey Billups. Bong, I get it. I get laughed at. Rudy Gobert is far superior. It's not even close. Rudy Gobert is so much better than Donovan Mitchell. But again, I get it. We can go down the line. Babbins used to tell me I was crazy for saying Gary Payton was better than Sean Kemp. This is before I knew anything about analytics. But I was able to say, oh, Glove is way better. But I get it. Bong, 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 bong. You can go down the line. We attribute guys who score more points. We say that they yo, you know how many times I've argued that Jimmy Butler is better than Bradley Bill or, or Devin Booker? So many people think that Bradley Bill and Devin Booker are better than Jimmy Butler, despite the fact every team Jimmy Butler goes to, they get better instantly. In fact, they get significantly better. Also, every team Jimmy Butler leaves gets significantly worse. Chicago, last time Jimmy Butler played for the Bulls, they were in the playoffs. As soon as Jimmy Butler left, well, you're, you see what the Bulls have become. Jimmy Butler plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves for one season. It just so happens that that's the one season in like 20 some odd years that the Timberwolves made the playoffs. He leaves, guess what happens? <laughs> Goes to Philadelphia. Oddly enough, because we're gonna we're gonna focus really hard on the Sixers after this point. They are literally one amazing Kawhi Leonard bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce. One amazing Kawhi Leonard shot from potentially going to the Eastern Conference Championship. The Sixers have never looked better than they did that year. He goes and look at where we're at now with Philly. And then, of course, the Miami Heat. The Heat missed the playoffs before Jimmy Butler gets there. All this young, excuse me, all this young talent was still there. Bam was still there. All these guys are there. Jimmy Butler gets there. They go to the finals. And if you want to dismiss the bubbles as saying this was fake, okay, that's fine. They still made the playoffs last year. 
And they're probably one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference this year. Outside of Milwaukee and Brooklyn. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami's better than the Sixers this year. Why do I say all this? Why do I go? Why am I talking about Dennis Rodman and Gary Payton and Jimmy Butler? You want to know why? And again, I haven't been very heavy handed, but if you listen to this podcast, you know how I feel about Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons is one of the best players in the league. And I've, I haven't come out and said it as clear as I'm going to say it now, though I think if you pay attention, it's been obvious. Ben Simmons is better than Joel Embiid. And I get it. I get it. Y'all are going to laugh. Y'all going to say I'm crazy, I'm tripping. But hear me out. Let's take away injuries for a second. Let's just completely remove injuries and condition as it pertains to Joel Embiid. Hell, as it pertains to Ben Simmons. Let's just disregard those. Joel Embiid had a phenomenal season last year. And if you wanted to say Joel Embiid was better than Ben Simmons last season, I would agree. Joel Embiid had a better year last season than Ben Simmons. But if we're going to use that logic, the best player last season was Ben Simmons. Let me ask you this. Again, consider this like a thought exercise. What's more detrimental to a team's success, an NBA team's success? Passing up shots, which everybody would agree. I may be the last big Ben Simmons fan on earth. I may be that guy. And I'm cool with it. But what's detrimental, more detrimental? A guy who's clearly psychologically afraid to shoot in fourth quarters in close games, which absolutely is a detriment, or another guy who turns the ball over constantly. You tell me, a guy passing up a shot where you literally could still score or a guy who gives the ball away at will. Y'all, I don't think you guys understand how many times Joel B turned the ball over in that series, particularly at the end of the series. Game seven, this man had eight turnovers. If Look, y'all give, give me one example. One example where the quote-unquote best player on the team had seven turnovers in game six, seven turnovers in game, or I'm sorry, five, Seven turnovers in game six, eight turnovers in game seven. And they did, and they basically received the pass. We spent this whole offseason talking about Ben Simmons not shooting in the fourth quarter and have said nothing by and large about averaging seven plus turnovers to end the series. And you're the best player. If I'm the best player and I turn the ball over, Right, 22 times in three games. How on earth is this other guy being made to be public enemy number one? That doesn't make sense to me. And for those of you who are saying, oh, well, he had to turn the ball over because Ben Simmons wouldn't shoot. How many games do y'all remember seeing Michael Jordan turning the ball eight, eight turnovers in a game? 
Because he was playing with Dennis Rodman, a guy who would not shoot. And for those of you who are saying, oh, well, you're comparing Joel Embiid to Michael Jordan. <laughs> How many times did Rick Hamilton or Chauncey Billups turn the ball over? Eight times. Eight times. Because Ben Wallace wasn't shooting. I could go down the line of guys who just don't shoot. And again, I'm not saying that Ben Simmons should be absolved of any criticism. He should be. But if you were telling me that Ben Simmons deserves all the criticism or even as much criticism as he's received, you're insane. But the fact that he is speaks to something. You want to know what else speaks to something? Daryl Morey. I'm not the biggest Daryl Morey fan, but I appreciate him. And I do believe that he looks at the NBA much more closer than I do. Like, more aligned with how I do than how, you know, the general perception is. Like, points per game. And why do I feel this way? Because this is really simple. If the Philadelphia 76ers, and I said this last time, and I say it on Twitter, and I say it to people in conversation, right? And I'd ask you, if the Philadelphia 76ers genuinely felt that they would have won or that they lost because of Ben Simmons and solely Ben Simmons, then why the hell are they asking so much for Ben Simmons? It doesn't make sense. If I felt that I was a championship contender, with the lone exception of this one player who is an anchor, because if you listen to the, the analysts in Philadelphia, if you listen to the talking heads in Philly, God forbid you have to listen to one of the fans, everybody says, oh, it's Ben Simmons' fault. He's the reason. We would have, if not for Ben, if Ben would have just blocked, Oh my goodness, we would have won if Ben just wasn't there. Ben Simmons is trash. Okay, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I am wrong. And all of my opinions on Ben Simmons and Philadelphia and Joel Embiid, Construction, Doc Rivers, the whole nine. Let's say I'm wrong. The Philadelphia 76ers would have won against the Atlanta Hawks. And the Philadelphia 76ers would have advanced to the Eastern Conference Championships. Hell, the Philadelphia 76ers may have went to the NBA Finals had it not been for Ben Simmons. Let's say I'm wrong and that everyone else is right. Then why not just get rid of him as early as possible? There are now reports that suggest that the Sixers don't want to send him to the Eastern Conference. And what does that tell you, right? Because it's not like a bunch of teams. Well, we don't know. Right, but we do know that there's a a handful of teams who have been vocal about wanting to get Ben Simmons. One of which, the Toronto Raptors, led by the best general manager in basketball. Toronto, it has been reported credibly that they have been in hot pursuit of Ben Simmons. So if Ben Simmons was as bad as everyone in Philadelphia makes him out to be, why not just say, hey, you know what, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, or whomever, OJ Ananobi. And a pick. We'll take you. Why not just trade Ben Simmons for expiring contracts? Hell, I'm a Knicks fan. Y'all know this. I have been trying 
And it was obviously I had no power. But before Julius Randle re-signed in New York, I'm like, yo, trade Julius Randle for Ben Simmons. Julius Randle and something for Ben Simmons. Bong. Make the contracts work. And Philly fans are like, why would we want Julius Randle? Julius Randle, mind you, second team all NBA. But at that moment, Philly fans were like, nah, we don't want a second team all NBA player for, for Ben Simmons. We want fucking Damian Lillard. Guys, <laughs> listen to me. Damian Lillard is like a top 10 player. Damian Lillard is easily a future Hall of Famer, first ballot. If Ben Simmons is trash, why do you think you could trade Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard? Which brings me to my next point. If Ben Simmons was as bad, like we just said, if Ben Simmons was trash, if he's the sole reason why Philly did not advance, he's the only reason why Philly did not beat the Hawks, did not go to the Eastern Conference Championships, and maybe not even go to the finals and win the championship. It's just all Ben Simmons' fault. It's all on Ben. He fucked up. It's his fault. Bomb. And we just talked about, well, if it was his fault, why are you asking for so much? Why wouldn't you just be so quick to move off of him? Like, if you were to tell me that my podcast would be the most lucrative, most successful podcast if only I changed the name. The only thing holding me back in this podcast back was the name, the quarterly report. Do y'all know how fast I would change that motherfucker? <laughs> you feel me? It doesn't make any sense. You all swear that you are a championship contender and that you want to be this, this, and that third, this, that, and the third. And then the only thing holding you back is Ben Simmons. Yet, y'all holding out for fucking Damian Lillard? Y'all want three number ones and an all-star player and a young promising player? That doesn't make any sense. But conversely, if you want Damian Lillard so much, right? And why wouldn't you? Well, why not offer up the farm? The Lakers had LeBron James. And they realized that if we have one of these players, we're always a contender. Every year that we have LeBron at this level, we're going to be in a contender status. So we need to make, make use of this. So they traded Brandon Ingram, all-star, Lonzo Ball, extremely talented player, Josh Hart, quality role player, and then like seven picks to get Anthony Davis. If you feel, if Philly, if you feel, yo, we have a championship contender now. Joel Embiid is as good as everybody swears he is, right? Forget the turnovers. Forget the injuries concerns. Forget the fact that he made John Collins look like fucking prime Sean Kemp mixed with David Robinson, right? Forget all of that. Joel Embiid is this centerpiece, great top player. Why not then say, you know what? We want to get Ben out of here. We feel like we have a championship contender. So we're going to trade Ben, and we're going to trade Thibault, and we're going to trade like four or five first-round picks, and then we'll that's our offer to Portland. If you want Dame Lillard so much, why not do that? What is What do those two things tell you? What does it tell you that the Sixers want so much for Ben Simmons? And that the Sixers won't package Ben and young players in a boatload of picks to go acquire another top-tier player to compete with the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. What does that tell you? 
about what Daryl Morey, a smart basketball mind, thinks about his team and what he thinks about Ben Simmons. Because I'll tell you what it tells me. Because again, let me let me let's slow down here. Let me make sure I say this so that we all understand the points that I'm trying to make. Because if you listen to the analyst, the quote unquote experts, whether it's locally in Philadelphia or nationally, if we listen to the talking heads, Philadelphia would have beat Atlanta had it not been for Ben Simmons. If Ben Simmons wasn't so scared to shoot, if Ben Simmons would have just dunked on Trey Young, if Ben Simmons could just shoot, if he could hit his free throws, all of this, which again, I'm not saying that Ben Simmons isn't culpable. He absolutely needs to make his free throws. While everybody else was talking about Ben Simmons needing to get a three-point shot, what did I consistently say on this very podcast? Fuck the jump shot. Fuck the three-pointers. Ben just needs to make his free throw. Just get to 74%. That's it. But I digress. Let's get back because I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to lose anybody. If Philadelphia hadn't had Ben Simmons, they would have reached all these goals. That's the way a lot of people want to, to, to talk about the situation. Philadelphia would have beaten Atlanta had it not been for Ben Simmons. They would have made it to the Eastern Conference Championship, possibly the finals, possibly a champion, had it not been for Ben Simmons. Okay? If I am to accept that, if I am to believe that, why wouldn't you just try to get off of them? Just if, if we are a championship contender without him, if he's just of negative value, Fuck it. Let me just trade him for an expiring contract and then I could waive those guys if I didn't want them. Let me get a pick at least. But fuck it. We're a contender without him. We would have done all of this without him. We don't need him. All he did was bring us negative value. So why are you asking for so much? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Am I missing something? Oh, and also, right, so let's say, let's just forget that. Ben Simmons is the reason why you didn't win. Ben Simmons is holding you back. Ben Simmons is trash. All of this that we hear. Well, why not then just add Ben Simmons and a whole bunch of other assets and get somebody worth a damn? You have two options. You can either move them, cut, cut your losses, cut bait, and just get whatever. Or package a bunch of your assets, a la the Lakers. The fucking Bucks traded three first-round picks, not for Drew Holiday, but just to get off of Eric Bledsoe. Trade Eric Bledsoe, trade all your picks, and get a quality player. The Lakers did it. They traded a future all-star, a, a hell of a young player in Lonzo, and then a bunch of picks. Well, why wouldn't Phillip do the same thing? If it's just because of Ben. If he's the sole reason, why don't you move him? You want to know why I think they haven't? Again, I told you, I believe Daryl Morey and my sensibilities align somewhat. I don't, trust me, I'm not going to sit here and say that I co-sign everything Daryl Morey does. But I do think a few things. I think if Daryl Morey was the general manager of Philadelphia before he got there, I don't believe that they would have traded what they did for Tobias Harris. But that's another topic for another day. What that tells me, though, what Philadelphia's requests 
tell me about what Daryl Morey views of his team is pretty simple. Number one, and I think everybody who watches basketball understands this, that the career arc of Joel Embiid is pretty much set in stone. I think we all know what happens, how Joel Embiid's career finishes. And it probably starts this year. Joel Embiid has back problems, has knee problems, has foot problems. He's always out of shape. And I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg theory, right? I don't know if he's always out of shape because he's always hurt or if he's always hurt because he's always out of shape. But we do know one thing. Those two constants, they are gospel. Joel Embiid is always hurt. Joel Embiid is always out of shape. It don't matter why one happens and the other one, what impact the other has on the other. Whatever. Those two things are truths. Joel Embiid misses time in the playoffs regularly now. Joel Embiid's defense is not nearly as reliable in the postseason as it is in the regular season. That has been a constant for like the last three years now. And I think Daryl Morey knows that. He knows that Joel Embiid, despite the fact that they just gave him a four-year extension. What the fuck? He's got two years left on his deal. So that's six years you are into Joel Embiid. Again, I would have traded Joel Embiid because I would have been able to get whatever I wanted. All of these demands that they have for Ben Simmons, they have suppressed Ben Simmons' own value to the point where no one's going to offer what they think they deserve. But let me not get ahead of myself. Here are three things that the Sixers are basically telling me. Daryl Morey is telling me with his ridiculous demands or the fact that they haven't already traded Ben Simmons or the fact that they have want so much for him. Number one, and this is the easy one, we all know what and how Joel Embiid's career arc plays out. He's a big man who's out of shape, who's always hurt, has back, knee, and feet problems. I'd be surprised if we have two more full seasons of Joel Embiid being a productive NBA player, including this year. I'd be surprised if we have two more full seasons of Joel Embiid being a productive NBA player. If he gets to three seasons, oh, well, celebrate. Because that means you at least have half of that, half of the years are done. I don't think we get to halfway through. I think two years is when we start to see, oh, shit, you still have Joel Embiid. That's number one. Number two, I think Daryl Morey knows that whichever team trades for Ben Simmons, whichever team gets Ben Simmons will be immediately better. Instantly. Just like that. Again, we started this thing off talking about the known unknown, right? We, for whatever reason, we attribute success to players and productivity and quality and elite status to players who score 20 points or more. So we underappreciate, we undervalue the guys who don't. Ben Simmons, despite the fact that he had costly, costly detrimental possessions because he did not want to shoot because he is a bad free throw shooter. Despite all that, he still was a positive in that series. Trey Young didn't go off on Philly the way he did in the Knicks and the, and the Bucks. And look what happens to Philly when they are playing 
Ben Simmons' style, running the floor. I've said this so many times. Rod Thorne, Ben Simmons. And what I mean when I say that, do what Rod Thorne did with Jason Kidd. Surround Jason Kidd with shooters and athletes. Watch what happens if Ben Simmons goes to the Spurs, if Ben Simmons goes to the Timberwolves, if Ben Simmons goes to Toronto. Watch. Don't let him go to Golden State. We already know what's going to happen then. Watch what happens. We all know what's going to happen. It's just that people are afraid to say it. Or they just don't know any better. So, yes, the second thing Daryl Moore knows is that whomever gets Ben Simmons will be infinitely better immediately. And on the flip side, Philadelphia will get worse. Y'all keep on talking about trading Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum. Bruh. <laughs> Daryl Morey is not stupid, y'all. Daryl Morey is not dumb. Y'all keep on thinking. And again, no disrespect to C.J. McCollum. But he's just a tiny Tobias Harris. All he does is shoot. He provides nothing else of quality. Nothing else of impact. Who's going to pass the ball? The Sixers don't have anybody on their team who can pass, who can create for other players. Why on earth would you trade Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum? If I'm Portland, oh, hell yeah, I'm doing that. And the reports are Portland has offered C.J. McCollum, offered Robert Covington. Say, hey, man, come on, let's do this. Again, if, if, if Ben Simmons was the sole reason why Philadelphia didn't advance in the postseason, why wouldn't have Philadelphia pulled this trigger for that deal? Again, that tells you something. But whatever. PPG. Yay, points. I understand. So point one. Again, what this stalemate with Philadelphia has told me about what Daryl Morey views and how he views Ben Simmons in his own team. Number one, it tells me that he knows Joel Embiid's career is not going to last much longer as a quality, productive player. Number two, it tells me that Daryl Morey knows that once he trades Ben Simmons, that team who gets Ben Simmons is going to get infinitely better. And Philadelphia, because they are losing that trade, will get worse. And number three, it tells me that Daryl Morey knows these two things are true. It tells me that Daryl Morey knows Joel Embiid cannot be counted on, cannot be relied upon, to be a franchise player for the long haul. Joel Embiid's about to be 29. It also tells me, again, Ben Simmons, you trade him, the team who's getting him is going to get so much better. And you're going to get much worse. And that's why Daryl Morey's asking for so much. Despite the fact that the head coach and the quote-unquote star player threw Ben Simmons under the bus. Everyone knows that you have to trade him. Ben Simmons has publicly said, I'm not playing for Philly anymore. Doc Rivers was copping pleas on fucking first take. And Daryl Morey is still asking the world for Ben Simmons. Come on, y'all. Think about it. What does that tell you? When I said Ben Simmons is better than Joel Embiid to start this quarter, I know y'all laughed. I know y'all was like, he's tripping. But yo, listen to how I laid everything out. Tell me where I'm wrong. Again, I will agree Joel Embiid had a better season last year than Ben Simmons. 
But look what happened the year before. Ben Simmons was hurt, missed the playoffs. The only time they got swept, the only time they lost in the first round under the quote-unquote process era is when Ben didn't play. We've seen the Sixers advance without Joel Embiid. When Joel Embiid does not play in the playoffs, we've seen the Sixers win. We haven't seen the Sixers win without Ben. I don't believe in coincidence. Y'all know this about me. Maybe you do. Maybe you think retro Mercury is in retrograde and retrograde and, and the stars were aligned just perfectly so and all of these things can be explained away. Okay, sure. I don't want to hear that shit, but if you believe it, God bless. Fact of the matter is, there's too many things that don't smell right in Philadelphia. And while you guys continue to blame Ben Simmons for the Sixers' failures, we're letting the quote-unquote best player slide, averaging more than seven turnovers in three games. Two of them were elimination games to end the series. Tobias Harris, who all he does is shoot, shot like shit in the postseason against Atlanta. Nobody's bringing heat to him. And Doc Rivers, Ben Simmons is quoted in the article in the Atlantic saying that, hey, he doesn't believe his pairing with Joel Embiid can go any further. That they, as a teammates, those two as a unit, they have gone as far as they possibly can. Which, again, it's clear to anybody. It's clear to anybody who watches basketball. Ben likes to play fast. Joel, for obvious reasons, can't. So you're asking Ben Simmons to play in a half-court setting where he can't be utilized to his great his strengths because you're putting him in the ducker spot and he's just taking up space, a position that he's not going to shoot and no one has to defend him. Ben needs to run. Again, Rod Thorne, Jason Kidd, early 2000 Nets. Run. Watch what happens. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like people, when they give their quote-unquote hot takes, they just say shit enough and they don't necessarily believe it. They have to convince themselves. I'm dead ass. I think this is obvious. And I and if I'm wrong, dog, y'all know me. I'll be the first to admit it. But I genuinely do not believe I am. I promise you, I don't believe that I am. Ben Simmons is such a quality player. And the fact that teams haven't jumped on it either tells me that other teams are very, very brilliant because they're not meeting this crazy asking price of Daryl Morey or they're completely foolish because they too have bought into the hype of the PPG myth. I wish the Knicks could get Ben Simmons. He's 25 years old, one of the three best defenders in the league, one of the five best passers in the league. He finishes at the rim better than Joel Embiid. And yeah, I get it. What he did against Atlanta, the, the most memorable play in that series isn't Danilo Gallinari plucking Joel Embiid at the top of the half court and then racing back getting an and one. It's Ben Simmons choosing not to dunk on Trey Young because he was scared to shoot free throws. I get that. But I guess I will ask you, what's the easier fix? Fixing a player who clearly has a mental hurdle and is afraid to shoot because of being embarrassed at the free throw line? Or fixing a player who's always hurt, who's always out of shape, and who always does. So the, the yin and yang of Ben Simmons and Joella Beat is that Ben won't do what he knows he can't. And Joel consistently tries to do things that he knows he can't. 
and they are treated much differently, right? I asked you earlier, what do you view as more detrimental to a team's success? Not taking a shot or turning the ball over? I'll close the first quarter with another question. What would you rather have? The guy who's comfortable being really, really good, but won't shoot you out of a game? Or the guy who's great at doing what he does, but consistently tries to do too much, which causes turnovers and inefficient shooting? I know where I lie on those two questions. The funny thing is, and the interesting thing is, I think I know where you lie as well. But because of the 20 point per game myth, it's hard for people to understand that what's clearly in front of your eyes is not a hot take. It's just the facts. I want to hear from you, though, man, because, again, this story is not going anywhere until they do trade Ben. I don't know if Ben is ready to 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 take an L on his new contract, but he's a young man. And again, it's not going to take much long. If you're asking Joel Embiid to carry this team by himself, it's not going to last much long. It's not going to last much longer. So I want to hear from you. Do you think the Sixers should trade Ben Simmons? Are you are you completely laughing at me by saying that Ben Simmons is better than Joel Embiid? Or do you have something completely different that you want to get off your chest about the Sixers? Either way, let me know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterlyshow. It's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, guys. We're going to stay on the basketball court for our second topic. Because, yes, while the Ben Simmons... Philadelphia 76ers saga started to to form a cloud over the NBA's media day this week. It quickly turned into something far more depressing, far more frustrating, and extremely concerning for not just me, a fan of the league, but anyone who is associated with the National, National Basketball Association. It's my second topic this week. Second quarter. Media day for the NBA typically is a time where every fan base is filled with promise, right? It's a fun time. Despite the fact that as I grow old and turn into a curmudgeon, my, my zeal, if you will, for media day has gone down significantly. It's still a fun, it doesn't matter the sport, right? Like the first time you can talk to, or you see your, your, your favorite players, it's, the beginning of any season, the beginning of any preseason is always filled with promise. Everybody thinks that, hey, man, this is the year that this can happen. Oh, well, this is the year this player takes the quote-unquote leap. All of the, it's just endless amount of promise. Unfortunately, this year for the NBA, media day for this league was a complete and utter disaster. The NBA, and I've talked about the NBA so many times in the past about how they like to be the, the, the cool, progressive, younger brother of the NFL, right? The NFL is the, the older brother who drinks milk for dinner, eats steak and drinks milk and always has the fireworks and has the huge American flag in his lawn and all this other stuff, right? And the NBA comes in with their skinny jeans, you know, when their pierced ear you know what I mean? And they're, they're multiple degrees, super smart. You know what I mean? 
probably like a hundred pounds skinnier than their muscle bound older brother who's just oozing testosterone. And the NBA is the cooler younger brother who likes, who listens to, who has the hip hop playlist. You feel me? Watches Atlanta. You understand? And wants to be like the cool guy. But if you just scratch the surface just a bit, you realize that it's just a facade. That's it. Beyond the, 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 you know, the sneaker collection. Beyond the, the Drake and the Uzi Vert playlists and the Hove playlists. Probably has dated a sister before in the past or a Latina. You understand? You get beyond all of that. Probably has a little basketball run on the weekends. When you get beyond all of that, you realize, oh, they're the same people who would move if I moved into the neighborhood. You understand what I'm saying? The, you feel me? Like Some of this stuff is just such a facade. And the NBA, who likes to purport itself as the super progressive and the super intellectual and the super cool hip league, on Monday, showed his whole ass. And mind you, this isn't the league. This is the players. There is such an issue, such a disconnect, such a problem when it comes to the NBA and trying to lead certain causes. I love the fact that the NBA players wanted to lead when it came to social justice in 2020. And years before that that's a beautiful thing and i commend the players though that the owners and the the powers that be did push back yeah you can wear a statement on your back of the shirt but it has to be a pre-approved statement that we have already selected for you so here knock yourself out no that's not really a protest if it's already approved however conversely in 2021, still in the midst of a pandemic, we have players and yes, yes, roughly 10% of the NBA players are unvaccinated. Or, and this is the funny business, right? Without at least one shot. That doesn't, come on, bro. There's a rule in New York now, New York legislation that says, if you play for a New York team, you need to have at least one shot to play indoors. And my whole thing is, why are we playing these stupid games? What's the purpose of saying, hey, man, just get the one shot? I see Kyrie Irving. I see Bradley Bill. I see Andrew Wiggins. What the fuck? Jonathan Isaac, because he can speak, speak clearly the people on the right who have no idea who Jonathan Isaac is wants to act as if he's this super educated and understand. None of these motherfuckers make sense. Imagine the gall. Imagine. It's so sad. It's so disappointing as an NBA fan. It's so disappointing watching what happened on Monday. He's just looking around here like, man, is this what we're doing? I haven't been more proud of the Knicks than I was last week when I found out that everybody, players, coaches, staff, trainers, 
you name it. Everybody in that organization has been vaccinated. That's an incredibly low bar. And it speaks to how awful they've been on the court. I can't tell you the last time I was more proud than I was last Thursday, last Friday when I saw that from the Knicks. That's where we are. We literally had people praising LeBron James because he finally decided to get vaccinated. That's just not worth praise. Our whole calculus is fucked up. <laughs> we, the NBA, because they have this facade, they get away with so much shit. We killed the NFL summer, all summer long. At the end of the summer, we killed the NFL. They were, they have a higher vaccination rate than the NBA. People were killing Cole Beasley. God bless Cole Beasley. God bless him. God bless him. Relatively, no one compared to Kyrie Irving, right? Let's, let's be fair. Cole Beasley will tell you, I'm nobody next to Kyrie Irving. Look at the reaction that Cole Beasley got relative to what Kyrie Irving is getting compared to their relative stardom. And it tells you something. We keep treating the NBA with kid gloves. You listen to Bradley B Slim. And I've been wrong about Bill on the floor, though I'm not as wrong. Again, y'all know this. This is, uh, I sound like a broken record. Though I haven't, I'm not as wrong as a lot of people think. But I've had conversations with people who cover that team intimately, people who know that team inside and out. And I've told them, they, they keep on saying, oh, Bradley Bill's this great leader. I don't know. Tommy Shepard said, hey, man, Bradley Bill is the thermostat for our team. All right, we can have the conversation about on the floor and productivity if you'd like. Again, I would, Bradley Bill's much better than I ever thought he would be, right? And we can have the Wizards conversation later on in another show as we near the beginning of the season. However, if this is the guy, imagine the gall in a pandemic. You are asking families, you are asking people to come see me play, see us play, come into an arena where you probably have, depending on your location, depending on where you live, a 50-50 chance. There's gonna be a guy to the right of you, a person to the right of you, a woman to the right of you who is vaccinated, the person to the left of you is not. It, the odds are that you're going to come across someone at the concessions, walking in, scooting by someone, sharing with someone who is not vaccinated. Imagine asking people to leave the comfort of your home to come watch us play basketball during a pandemic where there are variants that are spreading all throughout the world. And then saying, I need to research more about me getting vaccinated. The NBA is broken. Like, when it's, like, I'm listening to LeBron, and y'all know I love LeBron. 
but he gets off all this dumb shit and no one will ever check him. You don't need to be knee deep into every single specific case of COVID to realize that this disease, this virus impacts black and brown people more than anyone else in this country. And that's because of housing issues that we have. All of the, this is the thing about racism, right? And if LeBron wants to lead on equality, this is simple. Environmental racism is real. Look at projects in this country. Projects are because for generations, black people could not live in certain places. So you build these homes much more confined, much more compact. There are more people living in close quarters. So what does that tell you? If one person gets it and you're living right on top of somebody else, you're more likely to get it as well. Let's look at the job market. We talk about jobs in America and how the disparities are when it comes to the racial divide. Yes, black and brown people are more inclined to work in the jobs that are in factories, grocery stores, places where they are needed to work and are working in closer sectors, like close environments. So not only are your odds worse when, because of the living conditions, but the work conditions as well. And then you add on schools. The public schools where you don't have to pay. Private schools, hey, you want to come, you can, but look how look how spread out. Look how well we are. Look how big our schools are. You go to a private school, it's like a little, you know, eraser. Or not eraser, a pencil sharpener. Everybody's just jammed in. Of course, COVID is going to impact black and brown people more than their white counterparts because everything negative happens are impacts black and brown people in this country more than their white counterparts because of systemic racism. And if LeBron wants to act as if he's leading in that regard, you can't then say, I'm doing all this regards to equality and breaking down systemic racism. Oh, but with COVID, oh man, it's everybody for themselves. Oh man, I can't tell anybody. I can't do that. Man, just shut the fuck up then. Just shut up. Don't tell anybody anything. These motherfuckers are so weak, bro. And I, look, you can, but I, I'm not the person to tell you do this, you need to do this, particularly, particularly, excuse me, when it comes to advocacy, right? If you want to advocate for, you know, women's rights, you don't also then need to advocate for, you know, animal rights. Like, you don't have to be a one-stop shop. However, don't get up there and say some dumb shit. What the fuck is Bradley Bill talking about? This Bama's out like, you know you can still get COVID if you get the Who said you couldn't? It was embarrassing. Kyrie. Who even? Kyrie don't even know what the fuck he's talking about. And this is the funny thing. If they are so strong in their convictions, then don't take the shots. Everybody in here knows that Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving are going to take the shots because of where they play, where they live. If DC mandated the same, uh, you know, had the same mandates that New York and, and California have, which I can't believe that they don't. I can't believe that DC doesn't have these same uh, mandates. But whatever. If they did, Bradley Bill would get his shots. 
Kyrie Irving's not going to miss 40-some-odd games, 45, 46 games in all of those paychecks. He's not. Andrew Wiggins, that motherfucker ain't barely good. You think if Bradley Beal had the forfeit 41-plus games and paychecks that he would still take? That's what, that's what lets you know. Again, we talked about in the first quarter. What does Daryl Morey's high request tell you about how he views his team and how he views Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? We talked about that in the first quarter. Ask yourself this question. If Kyrie Irving gets a shot relatively soon, before the season starts, which I think we all probably agree he will. What does that tell you about his conviction? If you genuinely have your second thoughts and don't believe in the vaccine and think all this other stuff, then take a stand. Kyrie Irving, if he loses $17 million, guess what? He'll still be fine. And I don't like counting other people's money, but if it means that much to you, you'll be okay. You can take this. You don't have to look that far along for professional players who have taken a stand at the cost of their professional financial careers. It's You can look around and you don't have to look that hard. It was so disappointing as an NBA fan that this was, and again, the, the overwhelming minority, though, I don't even know how low this number is because on some numbers, it, or, or the way you look at it, it seems as if the NBA is just asking for one shot, which makes no sense. The P, And then you got the, the Ted Cruz's. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how much of an asshole you had Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kyrie Irving, Jonathan Isaac, Andrew Wiggins had to feel like after Ted Cruz. And look, this ain't a political problem. Y'all know I'm left. I'm very much left. But that doesn't mean that I, there aren't people who, let me just put it like this. I'm not a Joe Biden fan at all. Haven't been a Joe Biden fan ever. So I don't think that you have to be a have to lean left or be a liberal to realize yo Ted Cruz is a fucking dickhead. You don't have to be super progressive to say that. You can be conservative and still oh that motherfucker he's a dickhead. He's an asshole. And you got Ted Cruz who's whole who has had years of just NBA players shut up and dribble. I'm paraphrasing, right? This motherfucker ends his tweet saying, your body, your choice, without the hint of irony. Or maybe he did it because he's just a supreme asshole with Texas abortion, you know, with them stripping abortion rights as we speak. Literally have like, you can be a bounty hunter if you see someone, you can sue someone who is practicing. Like, it's nuts what's happening in Texas right now. And you can not even know... Ted Cruz probably has no idea about Jonathan Isaac before he said what he said. You think Ted Cruz cares about Kyrie Irving? These bombers are getting used and getting played. Because of what? You know, when Colin Kaepernick did his kind of protest 
and all of the people, the Ted Cruz's of the world, the Will Kane's of the world, Save Steel, who I used to work with and was very sweet to me. I hear her talking. I don't know what the hell's going on sometimes anymore. All these people, oh man, we're united. We're the United States of America. We're a country. We're supposed to be together. And da 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 da. When it comes to the vaccine, all that united shit goes out the window. You don't get the vaccine for you. You get the vaccine for your loved ones. You get the vaccine for your, your family, your community. If you're saying that the sense of community is gone, then don't talk to me about standing for a flag. This shit doesn't make any sense. I got the I got my vaccine early this year, March, or not March, April, end of April, right? Second shot in May. One of the main reasons why I got it is for my daughter, my niece, my sister, my brother-in-law. I live in Florida now. So y'all, these crazy motherfuckers, they walk around like it's like it's Candyland out here, like everything's sweet. I got it for my coworkers. The people who I'm with every single day. You know, the woman I was seeing at the time, her mom. She, if, if I see her and then she goes to visit to see her mom, her mom was elder. You feel me? You do it for a sense of community, not just you. I have a daughter. She goes to her camp. If I don't, if I'm not vaccinated and I'm out here, I could pass it to her. I wouldn't want that to happen. But then she could pass it to God knows how many children. You do it for community. These stupid motherfuckers are acting as if it's just about me. And if that's how you want to carry it, bong. But don't then ask me to come to your arena to watch you play. Don't then get mad at someone for not standing up for the flag and then say, hey, we're a country. We're united. No. It's obvious that that's not how you see this. This is all about you. You checking for self. And if that's how you're going to carry it, fine. But fuck you asking me to come see you and your team. Don't talk that community shit. LeBron, don't talk that equality shit. Ted Cruz, Will Kane, don't talk that United Nations country first shit. Don't do that. There are so many people in other countries who would die who would fight, who are desperately pleading for one shot. And you got motherfuckers acting like, I'm not putting that. Kyrie Irving is a sponsor for Pepsi Max. And he has the nerve to talk about not getting a virus because about what he's putting in his body. LeBron talking about all these different kinds of sprites. The f What? The, the truly the dumbest timeline, the absolute dumbest. But the NBA, they're gonna try to ride this wave. Hey man, let's just stay, let's stay quiet. Get your one shot, guys. Shut the fuck up. Get your one shot, and then we'll be on to something else. And then they'll talk about on MLK Day unity and equality. Shout out to Damian Lillard. Shout out to Donovan Mitchell. Shout out to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Shout out to the 90% or whatever that number is of people who took the vaccine because it's the smart thing to do. 
Are there questions? Of course you want to have questions considering the history of this country. And as a black man, yeah. What the government says, take this. There's, our, there's going to be some red flags that pop up. But what do you say to the millions upon millions of American people who have died since the beginning of last year to this? Do you think those that just made that up? What are we doing? Media day typically is the time for celebration, the time for promise, the time for endless amount of potential. However, this year, because of stupidity, because of politics, for no reason, really, we are marred in this this dumb game of who can YouTube better, of confirmation bias. We've got NBA players who get surgery every other year, questioning medical professionals. Well, then why do you? Why don't you do it when you had your last surgery, Kyrie? LeBron talking about I need to research more. I needed to research more. Let me ask you guys this one question. When LeBron buys a new car, do you think he's the one who's doing the research on what what's what's the best value, what's the best car? Come on. You heard the horn, guys. That's halftime. I it was a really, really frustrating, disappointing week in the NBA. And it's been this way for a while, not just with the NBA. I mean, hell. Y'all remember fucking Nicki Minaj? <laughs> hey, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? Whatever, man. I, I don't even want to talk anymore about this because, you know, it's shameful. It really was. It really is. But speaking of shame, there's no one who probably had to care more public shaming relative to his perspective field than your man Eldrick Woods. Shout out to Tiger. Because, you know, earlier this year, he had a, uh, a potential, I mean, a devastating car accident injury. Uh, he was transported to a hospital, had to have a major surgery, and God bless, he's healthy. And, um, you know, he's still with us. So, you know, that's a great thing. And I don't want this to uh, overshadow the, the true blessing of Tiger still being here. But damn, man, your man Eldrick, he was wilding out here. And unbeknownst to me, I apparently last week, and I don't know why, but your man Tiger's tweets back in the day when he was wilding were released. I don't know who decided to do this. I don't know what the, what the reason was given. But your man Tiger was giving it up really, really nasty. And let me just say this. As someone who has sent more than my fair share of little, you know, freak nasty text or whatever. Lord, please don't let any woman who I have messed with in the past get so mad at me that she then releases those. Right. I think if we're all being honest, we've all had our moments of just going ahead and going for it. Right. But before demon time was even a thing. Your man Tiger was sitting on that throne. And if you had not seen or read or heard how nasty your man Tiger was giving it up, 
Well, you're in luck. Because we're about to do it right here on the Quarterly Report. Take a listen. The King's English with Eldrick Woods. I have no idea. I would love to have the ability to make you soar. I will try to wear you out. After I come, you better start sucking my cock to get it hard. Okay, I would like to have a threesome with you and another girl you trust. I want to treat you rough, throw you around, spank and slap you. Slap your face, treat you like a dirty little whore, put my cock in your ass and then shove it down your throat. Hold you down while I choke you and fuck that ass that I own. When was the last time you got laid? Where do you want to be bitten? Again, it's easy to laugh, point the finger at Tiger, but if we all be honest, we all probably, not to his degree, he was, you know what I'm saying? He was on some other stuff, right? But again, we all jumped out there and said some wild shit via text. You know what I'm saying? Demon time is real, but your man Tiger? Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's going through your man Tiger's brain, bro. He be on some other stuff. He be his racial identity be popping up. I mean, what? Oh my God. This motherfucker right here. Shout out to Tiger, man, man. Just go ahead. Yo, do y'all remember when this shit first popped off? This is years ago. It's like a decade plus ago now, man. And they had a little app called Tiger Text. I don't even know if they have it still anymore, but it's a thing called Tiger Text where you text through that app and then the text would delete after like an hour or so or something. <laughs> it's just like, yo, I hope we got some, some royalties from that joint, man. Oh, can you imagine living through that? Nobody. Nobody would want their intimate, you know what I'm saying, text to get out there. Tiger got past it. You know, his relationship ended, whatever, boom, boom. And then for whatever reason, I still don't know why they released it. But like a decade later, they re-released the text. I mean, Tiger probably looking around like, oh man, somebody out to get me. Shout out to Tiger, man. Hopefully, man, just get like a fucking carrier pigeon or some shit man i don't know you gotta change it up bro all right man hopefully you guys enjoyed halftime hopefully that wasn't too disturbing for you but yo we still got two quarters left we still have half the show to get through and we're going to start with yours truly like one of my favorite sports it's been a rough summer but fall kicked off in an amazing way and when you look ahead to the upcoming slate of potential fights yeah, it's time that we can probably, it's time to say that boxing has a chance to save itself from an, from this point, a really awful 2021. We're going to break it down next in our third topic this week. Third quarter. It was another amazing fight this past weekend. I say another, but we've, 2021 had so much potential. I said with 2020, like 2020 had a lot of potential. We started off with Wilder Fury 2. It was a phenomenal performance by Tyson Fury. He catapulted himself into like superstar status with the not only the victory, but also his charisma and the way he ended the fight. And then 
just like with any other sport, any other, you know, everything else that happened in this world, COVID happened and it shut boxing down. But boxing ended 2020 really strong. And then there were a lot of really high expectations coming into 2021. And the first part of 2021 was really, really fun. It was very exciting. We had a really good fights um, as we were all starting to get back into quote unquote normalcy. And then the summer happened. I mean, we were supposed to have Fury Wilder 3 in the summer. Tyson Fury had COVID. We were supposed to have Errol Spence, Manny Pacquiao in the summer, like a week or two later. Errol Spence has an eye issue where I think something happened with his retina. Couldn't fight. Manny Pacquiao then still loses and retires. And then we were supposed to have, you know, Mexican Independence Day. Caleb Plant versus Canelo Alvarez. Canelo, we know, so routine now. Cinco de Mayo, he fights. Mexican Independence Day, he fights. And then he tries to get a third fight at the end of the year. They had, uh, I guess, some type of negotiation issues. That fight didn't happen. And what unfortunately took place this summer were a bunch of guys fighting under the umbrella of boxing. The Paul brothers fought people, y'all, you know, and I just didn't even pay that attention. I didn't watch the fight. I didn't talk about it, you know, because whatever, if you're going to do that, do that. You know, I take issue a little bit with the fact that Jake Paul and the guy from UFC, they get more, they had more coverage of that fight than Manny Pacquiao did. The Jake Paul Woodley fight had more coverage than Usyk versus Anthony Joshua did, and that's for the heavyweight championship of the world. I have issues with that. It would be like the big three getting covered more than the NBA. You know what I'm saying? And actually, it's not even close to that because these guys aren't even real boxers. They had fucking Evander Holyfield out there getting his head knocked around. This shit is crazy. I can't tell you the number of these fake fights that happened over the summer. And everybody's like, this was great. And this shit didn't do anything. And then last weekend happened. And it was just refreshing to be like, yo, all that other shit. If you want to go out to a bar and watch guys just throw haymakers, by all means, go for it. But this is boxing. And it was a phenomenal fight. Look, man, I've been telling you guys about Alexander Usyk for a while. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Usyk was a phenomenal cruiserweight. And when he was at cruiserweight, I was saying he was going to be the guy to clean up the heavyweight division. Because his boxing is just phenomenal. He's an athletic boxer. He knows how to box and he has power at cruiserweight. Unfortunately, when Usyk moved up into heavyweight, that power didn't come with him. And it's really hard to really describe it. Right? You look at him, you can tell he's a strong guy. But that pop, it didn't come with him. Like in cruiserweight, he would knock guys' heads off. In heavyweight, he has to rely more so on his boxing, his combinations. Because, I mean, and, and to be fair, Anthony Joshua is like a super heavyweight. Tyson Fury, they're super heavyweights. And... Deontay Wilder just has basically Thor's hammer in his gloves. These are guys who aren't the typical, when you think of a heavyweight, right? 
You're thinking of like 210, 215. These guys are like 240, 250. So it's different. But when you watched how masterful, and again, a lot of people want to get on AJ. A lot of people shit on AJ. I don't know if it's because he's English. You know, there's probably a discussion to be had about black Europeans and how we kind of look at them differently. Gobert comes to the mind, comes to the front of the mind before anybody. Like we treat Rudy Gobert a lot differently than we treat other guys, right? And Anthony Joshua, who would knock your head off, literally would knock your head off and take your girl. We 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 clown him. Say whatever you want about Anthony Joshua. You can't argue with his resume. Look at the guys he's fought and look at every other heavyweight. There's not anywhere, there's no one. There's no one who can compare. AJ fights everybody. So all you Wilder stands out there, you telling me he was ducking Wilder. Well, well, how is that the case? Because he didn't duck anybody else. Tell me the guy that Anthony Joshua ducked. And if you think it's only Deontay Wilder, then that's kind of funny because I can give you a slew of guys that Wilder hasn't fought. Anthony Joshua wanted to fight Tyson Fury and they were going to fight. But Deontay Wilder threw a tantrum. And I, I'm not even mad at him. There's, there's money to be made there. And that fight is coming up in November too. So I think a lot of the Anthony Joshua hate is 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 a odd, it's an odd thing to see. And make no mistake, Anthony Joshua, I think the people who his uh, his trainers, I don't want to say handlers, but you know, the people who are looking after his career. They made the conscious decision, I believe it was after the, the Parker fight, or leading up to the Parker fight. And you saw him rely much more on the boxing skill, but it was like the, the, the slider skill. It went too far over because before that, I mean, AJ's a strong guy. AJ obviously has the power to knock you out. But he relied less on that. And it was almost as if they were getting him ready to fight Wilder, so much so that they relied so heavily on his boxing. And you watch AJ, and I don't want to say it's a stiffness about it, but it's not the natural reaction. Like, there's there's a way to blend the two, to be an elite-level boxer, but then still react and keep those heavy hands and keep those big-time shots to come. Because what happened Saturday was that you saw AJ doing a lot of pawing. And look, if you look at Alexander Usyk's face, you can see AJ was popping his ass really, really strong. But it, and, and he had his biggest output ever, but there was a lot of pawing, right? There was a lot of pawing as opposed to the pop straight, the pop. Working the head and the body, and AJ obviously has this huge reach on Usyk. But Usyk, so much of what happened Saturday has been placed at the feet of AJ and what he couldn't do. We are then diminishing the the the, the performance that Usyk had. He that was an elite boxing showcase. And when you look at AJ's face, you see now AJ's face looks much better than Usyk's face. But you see, maybe this power is finally starting to rise with him. And if Usyk can bring anywhere close to the power he had at cruiserweight to heavyweight, the entire heavyweight division should be put on. I mean, they are on notice. We have a new heavyweight champion of the world. 
and he boxed his ass off on the road in UK and won a decision and a decision that it was clear. It was a phenomenal fight. It was an amazing performance. And unlike a lot of people, I want to see a rematch, right? A lot of people are saying, oh man, I don't know if AJ should even get the rematch. Y'all the same motherfuckers who tell me that Deontay Wilder should get a rematch with Tyson Fury. He lost twice to him already. The second time worse than the first. Don't tell me AJ shouldn't, you know, use his rematch clause. But what happened Saturday just always comes back to me. And it's like, man, when boxing gets it right, it's just so much fun. And then I look at the schedule in November and I'm just like, yo, we almost here. Fuck February, fuck November. Right? Next week we have Fury Wilder 3. Big time fight. Then we have Caleb Plant, Canelo Alvarez, the biggest fighter in the sport looking to unify. Then we've got, and I don't like how ESPN is doing it, but look, Terrence Crawford, finally, after all of these years of begging, wanting Bud to step in the ring with somebody who's worth the damn. He's doing it. Sean Porter. Now ESPN Plus, you've got to have ESPN Plus to then even get the pay-per-view. I can't just order the pay-per-view, you know, from your cable provider if you don't have ESPN Plus. So you basically have to pay two different charges to watch that fight, which is... Uh, don't get me started. Like boxing, when it's good, it's great. But they still got their shit they got to figure out. But whatever. You've got Mangia. You've got Rosi, Rosario. Like these fights are coming. I don't know what took so long. Teofimo is finally getting back in the ring. And again, that's not all on his head. He had COVID, but he also was trying to get on that thriller wave. And the fights that we want to see are happening. We still got to figure out what's going on in 135, 130, right? We still need to get T.O. or Javante and Sh uh, Shakur and, you know, all of these other guys to get in the ring. Uh, Ryan Garcia, like, they got to clear that out. And unfortunately, we're no closer to having any type of resolution at 130, 135 than we were a year ago. And that's disappointing because it looked like we were headed toward having something there. Um, but as a boxing fan, after having to go through hearing the hype behind Jake Paul and Floyd Mayweather and the other Paul brother, and then the UFC guys and a Vander fucking Holyfield, dog, I saw one thing where people were talking about Riddick Bowe versus Lamar Odom. How does, who comes up with those two? <laughs> like, how does... I was listening to this other T.O.'s talk about fighting Brandon Marshall. It's like y'all Bama just want to see anybody fight. But when the greats, the people who actually do this fight, it's church quiet. Library quiet. As a boxing fan, I don't understand that at all. I don't get how we could get so hyped over a UFC fighter, a retired UFC fighter and a YouTuber. And then when two of the best heavyweights in the world fight in front of God knows how many tens of thousands of people and they put on a show, you don't hear anything about it. 
It's one of the many things that is wrong with how sports are covered in this country. You can't get mad that Stephen A. Smith has these huge contracts and all over ESPN because that's what we want. We don't want the Bob Lee. We don't want, we want the, the sad, the sizzle. And this is not a knock on Stephen A. Smith. This is not a knock on Bob Lee. But this is kind of where we are as an American sports society. We like the sizzle. We like the sauce. We like the fireworks. We like the icing. Because when you get the quality, and again, this is no disrespect to Stephen A. God bless the brother, man. Like, whatever. It's not for me. God bless you. But there's something wrong when we go days talking about fucking Jake Paul. And then when two of the best fighters in the world put on a show, you get like two articles or a handful of tweets. Boxing fans, you know this. This shit is crazy. But this is this is the life we chose as fans of this sport. You know, if you have the zone, it's a phenomenal piece. Obviously, the politics are what they are. Same with ESPN Plus, if that's what you have. The politics are what they are. The people who you like to listen to, again, it's muddy, right? Chris Mannix, he's got a contract with the zone. So he leans a certain way. Max Kellerman. Both of these guys are phenomenal minds when it comes to boxing, but Max, Max is paid by ESPN, so he leans a certain way. But if you can rip through all of the BS and all of the red tape, man, this is still a phenomenal time for boxing and boxing fans. But before I let you guys go, Jim Lampley, HBO Sports, please. Can you come back? <laughs> please. We need you. All right, guys. Hey, let me know what you think. Did you watch Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua this past weekend? And if you did, what were your thoughts? And maybe if you didn't, but you watched Jake Paul, whichever Paul brother versus the Woodley guy from UFC. If you watched that and didn't watch Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua, my question to you is why? No judgment. I'm just curious. If you have a response to that or anything else, email me, please, at quarterly report at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E show. All right, guys. Hey, look, three quarters are in the books and we have touched on basketball. We've touched on COVID. We've touched on boxing. Now we're going to step away from the sports arena, but still continue the the head-to-head -head matchup, if you will, because Versus continues to steamroll through pop culture for like a year plus now. And shout out to those brothers. But it is always interesting on the people who call out others. And more important, more interesting, at least to me, the people who are never called out by anybody else. I'm going to break that down in our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth quarter. So, you know, Versus has become this entity of uh, uh, this huge thing now. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because there are moments where I absolutely miss the humble beginnings of this virtual battle, if you will, between catalogs of legends. This is how it started. And if you saw the dream and Sean Garrett versus the inaugural one, where your man, Sean Garrett was clearly off something, whether it was, uh, liquid herbal 
or something that is snorted. Maybe a combination of all three. It was such a, almost like a beautifully, it was beautiful in its chaos. But it was very much entertaining and we have now turned this into some corporate sponsored concert performance. And you know, God bless Swiss Beast, God bless Timbaland. They've made, uh, they hit a lick with this. And yes, I don't necessarily pay attention to the verses like I once did last year, mainly because, you know, we're not all locked inside and, you know, there's there, there are sports, there are things to do. We're not necessarily as scared to go outside. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not nearly as involved or not nearly, I don't watch them the way I once did. The only one I've seen recently was the Dipset Locks one. And that was like, one for the ages, right? But I do still keep an eye out, right? Because, you know, it's become a thing. Who's going to be the next versus? And even though I don't watch them, I can't lie. You know, I'm at the age now where, like, the music that I like, that's what I like. Uh, with the exception, like, I find myself listening to, like, you know, like, different playlists on Apple Music, right? So I'll get like the the chill playlist and it has all these different types of artists. A lot of them do like these DJs, but it's just like beats and it's rhythmic and it's soothing. You know what I'm saying? So like my styles of of music are changing, but in in regards of hip hop and rap and the the the, the music of my soul, like I'm locked in. I'm at the point now in my life where I am would readily Admit to anyone, I'm not going to ever like an album more than I like Equimini. <laughs> you understand? Like, Outkast is always going to be my favorite group. That stuff is, those are things that will not change. And I understand it's ignorant. I get it. And I'm not evolved because of it, but I'm comfortable in my ignorance. Let me live. So, when all of these stars of the 90s and early 2000s are like, hey, let me throw my name in the ring. It's it's interesting to me on some level, right? But what also was interesting is who is targeting who. I remember when Versus first started. I was this is back when I still was listening to Joe Budden podcast, and he was like, "Yo, it's always interesting to find out the person who's like almost punching up, right?" So there'll be someone who said, "Like, yeah, I don't want to go on a Versus with you because I feel like you're beneath me, but I'll go on a Versus with you." And it's always interesting to see who the person who is issuing the challenge feels that they're in the same peer group. It's silly, right? But the biggest one of this and the most recent one was Jermaine Dupree, right? We had the last verses. I don't even remember who was there. Maybe it was, yeah, Fat Joe and Ja Rule. And again, I didn't watch it, right? But apparently Jermaine Dupree, legend, icon, he issued a challenge to Puff. She's like, dog, let's do it. I'm at Madison Square Garden. Let's go. Puff responds in an odd manner. It's like, hey, you are my friend. You are a legend. But you can't beat me in a versus. This is not competition for me. The only person who I would even get into one of these with would be Dr. Dre. So that one, though, that one back and forth tells me two things. Number one, Jermaine Dupree feels as if he's a peer with Puff. Now, I happen to agree with that. 
I happen to believe that Jermaine Dupree and Puff are a much more a fair battle than Puff and Dr. Dre. But Puff's response was, hey, Jermaine, you're not on my level. You're not on my level. The only person who is, is Dr. fucking Dre. So, Puff is clearly out of his mind. Dr. Dre, we don't even need to go. Dr. Dre has made legendary music in the 90s. I want to say in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and has been a part of great music in the 2010s because he is the one who kind of, at least in my eyes, he was the one who, I don't want to say discover, but put Anderson Pac on a large level for me to, I didn't know who Anderson Pac was before Dr. Dre. Before Compton came out, I did not know who Anderson Pac was. That's four decades. Is this is NWA to to Snoop to Pac to to Nas to Eminem fifty Anderson Pac Game Kendrick Lamar right <laughs> and what are we talking about Puffs just sit your ass down. There's no way you can think about people and Puff is like the only person who I would get in with. The only person who would be a challenge. And I'm thinking to myself, bro, Pharrell would dust your ass up too. Kanye, if we're just talking about production, would dust your ass up too. What are you talking about? Hey, go, go sit down somewhere. Jermaine Dupree. And I'm not, this, this quarter is not about Jermaine Dupree and Puff. I promise you. But when you think of legendary music, Jermaine Dupree has Confessions. One of the greatest R&B albums ever. Jermaine Dupree authored that from a sonic standpoint. He also gave you the Emancipation of Mimi. Mariah Carey's best album. What is Puff talking about? But again, I find this interesting. Who was the person who's offering up the challenge? Where did they view them? Another one. Tip. T.I. is out here saying, yo, I want to challenge Fifth. Fifth is like, bro, get out of here. Fifth keeps on trying to little bro T.I. And it's working. But Tip is like, dog, I want to get in there with Fifth. I think that would be a very interesting battle. It's very regional. Right? 50 has the New York, T.I. has the South. I personally was more of a fan of T.I.'s music, but let's not trip, let's not act like 5th didn't have a run. I think it's actually a pretty fair fight, but 5th keeps little bro in T.I., and T.I. is acting like a little brother because he keeps on asking, hey, I want to fight, I want to fight, I want to fight. But what is very interesting to me is the names who are never called on. You always hear, oh man, maybe we could get a Drake versus Chris Brown or a Drake versus a Kanye. I always say the, the battle for Drake would be Hove. But no one really calls out Hove. And I'm not the biggest Hove fan, y'all know this, but yeah. No one is talking about Hove. Earlier in this conversation, I talked about Pharrell. 
All this producer stuff. Swiss went up against Tim. Puff is calling out Dre. JD is calling out Puff. And all this other stuff. You know what? No one has said Pharrell's name. You want to know why? Because Pharrell would beat the dog shit out of everybody. Every hip-hop producer would bow to Pharrell in a battle. This man has clips. This man has Britney fucking Spears. <laughs> you understand? Super Thug came out in 98. Shake Your Ass came out in 2000. And this man hasn't stopped since. No, he's Candyman. No one says no one says Pharrell's name, and for good reason, because everyone knows he would mop the floor with anybody, any of them. No one, not Kanye, not Dre, not, no one would be able to see Pharrell. But from a hip hop standpoint, from a hip hop standpoint, there's one rapper who goes completely unchallenged. They don't even think of, you don't even come up with the potential verses for this guy. We've come up with the potential verses for Hov, though no one in his peer group has called him out, and for good reason. But we won't even allow ourselves to come up with a potential competition for this guy. Not Drake, not Hov, not Nas, not Outkast, nobody. Because this dude has been making raps since he was 14 years old. And once he turned like 16, he's just been making hit after hit after hit. I'm talking about Lil Wayne. There is no rapper who would see Lil Wayne in a versus. And I am so confident in this. This man could play drop it like it's, I'm not drop it like it's hot. He could play back that ass up on his second or third song. He could play bling bling. Just random stuff. This all came to me one day. I don't know. I'm driving to the grocery store, right? And I have my iPhone on shuffle, whatever, whatever. And hypnotized minds, cash money came on. Now, if Lil Wayne is playing 20 songs and he's in his right mind, hypnotized minds, cash money doesn't even make the list. And this dude's probably 15. His voice sounds like a little kid when he's rapping. But that song went so hard, summer, what, 98, 99? I remember listening to that over and over again. And I start thinking, Wayne crushes everybody. We literally have songs from Lil Wayne that started in the Hot Boy era, right? Project Chick, Hot Boy, all these songs that came out before 2000 that we don't even think about when we talk about Lil Wayne because Lil Wayne's 04 run was insane and now he's morphed into this drake young money little wayne this guy's pretty much had four different phases of his career and through each of them he's had nothing but hits jay-z's not seeing little wayne i'm sorry he's not drake god bless drake drake makes all this hit records i spent a fucking hour talking about drake last episode he's not seeing little wayne this dude Think of the songs that he's been. Number one stunner. These are songs that he made a shine. Songs that he probably won't even make in his 20. Wayne's songs 21 through 41 beat most rappers. His honorable mentions. 
And everybody knows it because we, who's the person that you think could get with Wayne? It ain't Kanye. It ain't Tip. It ain't Jeezy. It ain't Ross. It ain't Drake. And name the individual rapper who could get with them. Nobody. Again, he could make back that ass up his his first song. What you doing with that? <laughs> that would be 20th for everybody else. That's one for Wayne. And then he comes up with bling bling after that. And then he comes up with Project Chick. And then he comes up with Go DJ. And then he comes up, like just the, the songs, he could go 20 on just his mixtapes alone. And there's a reason why no one ever calls his name. I, I find this type of stuff fascinating. Because everybody wants to do this. Oh, Ja Rule wants to go up against Fat Joe. Oh, Puff wants to go up against Dr. Dre. Uh, JD wants to go up against Puff. Keisha Cole calls out a shot. All this other stuff. All this little, little, little. Who, who's calling the big dog? Who's calling out the big dog? Because even the even the gods of this thing, Hov doesn't get called out because who's going to call out Hov? Nas is not going to get called out because who's going to call out Nas? But we have these games in our mind that we play, like hmm, these dream matches, you know, before WCW and WWE, before WWE bought out WCW. If you're of a certain age, be on the school bus, you're like, yo, man, who would win? Sting or the Ultimate Warrior? Who would win? Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair? Who went, you know, we used to have these conversations all the time as little kids. If you're a generation younger, before the, the, the WWE bought someone out, it was Sting versus Undertaker. It was, you know, Stone Cold versus Goldberg. Like we had all of these different debates and we would call them dream matches. So we've had the Drake and Hove dream match idea, if you will. We've had the Nas and Kendrick dream match. We've had the, the Tribe and Outkast dream match. We've never even thought about getting the dream match to Wayne because even subconsciously we know no one's fucking with him. It's so funny. We don't even think about it. We won't even think about Wayne because it's so obvious. This man has been giving us hits nonstop since 98. And though he's not nearly the rapper that he once was, he's not nearly as on as he once was. He's he's kind of trans. I don't want to say trans. He's pivoted a bit. We give like, the, the the idea of versus were was to entertain during um, isolation, but also to give flowers to the artists who mean a lot to us, who mean a lot to the culture. It's important that we make sure we give the flowers to the guys who don't and the guys and women who don't even step foot in a versus because their legacy is that much bigger than this entity has grown to be. And Wayne is at the top of the list. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Do you think Wayne beats Hove? Maybe you do think someone can get with Wayne. I want to hear. I'm interested. You are wrong, right? Don't get that twisted. You were wrong, but I want to hear. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And please, before we go, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a very nice review. 
doesn't have to be very long, just a few words, a sentence, maybe more, telling the world why you enjoy this podcast. I enjoy it because I get to vent. I work in news now, man, so I can't get my sports takes off like I want to, except for when I'm in front of this microphone talking to all of you. So if you would be so kind, please let the world know, let me know why you enjoy this podcast. Those reviews go such a long way in building uh, momentum, building attention for these independent podcasts like this. I would really, really appreciate you guys doing that as well. And while you're at it, leave a five-star review if you don't mind. All right, guys, this is episode 201. Make sure you guys stay safe. Also, I forgot to mention this earlier in the NBA diatribe I had about COVID and the and the vaccine. These guys really, it's, it's, it's really dangerous what they're doing, the ignorance that they are showing. It's important that we push forward, right? It's important that we make sure we understand the importance we understand the safety measures that are being taking place and the experts who are giving us this advice right we need to move away from looking at celebrities this whole idea of influence the the influencer culture that we now are in we need to strip that down because we've heard so many celebrities and not even celebrities analysts talk show hosts NBA players who aren't even that very, who aren't very good, and some of some of whom who are legendary, just run off at the mouth over the most foolish things. Take care of your family. Take care of yourself. Take care of your community. Get your vaccines, y'all. Like let's let's stop playing. Let's stop playing. Okay. I wanted to make sure you know we can have fun. We can talk. We can crack jokes, but I also want to make sure we are being adults about the matter as well, right? This is important. This pandemic should not have taken a hold over the globe the way it has, our country specifically. And it has done so because of this mountain of ignorance that we are just fighting in addition to this pandemic. So let's be smart, y'all. Be safe. Be safe. If you can, get vaccinated. Take the time out. Do what needs to be done, not just for yourself, not just for your family or loved ones, but for your community. All right. On that note, I'll make sure I will be back next week. Please make sure you're there with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, y'all. You'll be safe.